You are listening to the acclaimed Professional by Choice podcast that is going to prepare you for the competitive professional world. Just like any sport, being a professional takes time, effort, practice, and commitment. With rigorous training and focus, you will know what it takes to be a professional. And now presenting your host, Hailing from East Chicago, Indiana, the man, the Marine, the legend, the all-knowing master of the professional routine, Chris Molina. Today, we are talking to Grace Lemon, which I have a personal relationship with. And so today, Grace, I would like to start off with you introducing a little bit about yourself to the listeners and uh, kind of just going into depth on your background, what jobs you've had since college, maybe what you majored in and where you are now and what the future has for you. Awesome. Yeah, my name is Grace Lemon. My condensed life story was born and raised in southern Indiana. And then I went to Purdue University where I got a degree in public relations and strategic communication. Upon graduating, I went to the National Park Service in Grand Teton National Park. And after three seasons of that, I will be transitioning into professional guiding. What did you do at the Park Service? So at the Park Service, I was what was called an interpretive park ranger. So there's a lot of different departments within the Park Service. A lot of people think park ranger is just one thing only. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I didn't have a gun or arresting authority or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was part of the department that was the face and voice of the park. So if you've ever been to a national park and you went to a visitor center, you talked to an interpretive park ranger. Mm -hmm. If you ever went to a ranger-led program, like around a campfire or something like that, that was an interpretive park ranger. Mm -hmm. And the terminology is somewhat confusing because they think I'm translating languages. (laughs) Um, But interpretive park ranger is, I'm interpreting the environment and the space to make it relevant to you. Um, But it was a broad range of what I would do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could be asked questions from how late is the kayak rental place at Jenny Lake opened Mm -hmm. to how many pounds of food does a bear eat, (laughs) you know, a a day to I have my 80-year-old grandma and a two-year-old child and we want amazing views. What hike should we do? Sure. The breadth of knowledge that I had to know as a park ranger, it was, it was a lot, and it was wide, wide ranging. Yeah, that's, um, so. I think I interrupted you when you were talking about what you're doing after park services. So you can go into that, and then mm-hmm. I do have some more questions about the park service. Awesome, yeah. So I'm transitioning into backcountry guiding. The reasoning for that is even working in the park service as an interpretive park ranger, which is essentially what I consider customer service. It wasn't outside enough for me. Mm -hmm. I still wanted to work with people, but not on the scale that I had been. Mm -hmm. Um, Our visitor center saw 3,500 to 4,000 people a day. And during a three-hour desk shift, it was very likely that I would talk the entire time. Mm -hmm. The line would be consistent enough that I was talking the entire time. And I did not mind that, but I do have interest in being outside a little more. And I want to push myself in ways that were kind of different. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be leading multi-day, you know, three to five to seven day backcountry trips for groups of people from, you know, three to five to ten people. Mm -hmm. 
and I'll be doing that all over the West. Okay. Um, so there's different types of guides. There's so many different types of guiding trips. I mean, I'll be doing llama assisted trips. I will be doing base camp treks mm -hmm. where we'll have one camp that we stay at and then we take them on day hikes to mm -hmm. different areas. And for people that are not familiar with the term trek, what does that mean? Oh, if I was to go on a trek, it'd be like an expedition, a hike. If I'm trekking, I'm hiking. Um, I'm sure there's like a actual definition sure. difference. But for me, when I say trekking, it's... I guess more of a determined hike. Okay. Like uh, a, a planned out Yeah, hike. a planned out hike. A planned okay. out multi-day trip. Okay. You know, a backcountry expedition. Uh, yeah, I'll use the terminology going, trekking or an expedition. Mm -hmm. What that would look like would be you meeting up with the group of people that hired you to go on a trek somewhere and then you taking them out for an extended amount of time and then coming back. Yeah, so depending on your company... There's a few different styles, but with both companies I'll be working with, an example of what a trip might look like for me is the day before we go out, I will go to the warehouse and I will lay out everything that we need. I will make sure we have every sleeping bag, tent. I will do grocery shopping. I will have a menu that I've prepared and planned out for breakfast, lunch, dinner every day. Mm -hmm. I will know what lunch is on the third day and I'll have everything prepared. And the next morning, I will get up very early. I will go pick up all of the guests from their hotels. I usually have a co-guide. Mm -hmm. um, and we will drive to the trailhead. And from there, we will head out. And that might look like, okay, the first day we're going to hike five miles to our first camp. The next day, seven miles to second camp. Maybe we stay at the second camp for two nights. Um, it all depends on the trip style. And like sure. I said, there's so many different types of trip yeah. styles. And the request from the customer and what they want to do, yeah. I'm sure. And we provide the gear for them. We provide everything besides, you know, their clothes and anything else they may need personally. Yeah. But we'll provide backpacks, tents, sleeping bags, everything like that for them. We prepare all the food for them mm -hmm. that's expected of us. And then on our last day, we'll hike out and we'll drop them back off and then... We spend the whole rest of that day, a term I've heard is de-rigging. Mm -hmm. So you put everything back from your trip. Because yep. organization is going to be key sure. when you're doing these types of that makes sense. trips. Yeah. And I think we could do an entire podcast, or at least I know I could, asking you questions about <laughs> trekking and outdoors and wildlife and all that. But that's mm -hmm. not the reason why I wanted to talk to you today. The reason why I want to talk to you today, and the listeners won't know this about you, is that one, I don't think there are any degrees or majors that prepare you specifically for being outdoors. Mm -hmm. You majored in communications, mm -hmm. right? And this is something that you found that you absolutely love. It, it could easily be said that now that you're on the journey of being a leader that leads people outdoors, mm -hmm. that you're doing exactly what you love. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I also know this based on the conversation we had right before this podcast. Mm -hmm. But that's something that's rare, finding your dream job, especially when it's something that is different from your major, which is very common because... Nobody knows what they want to be when they're in college. Very few people do. And, and so many people lead careers that are not aligned with what their major is specifically. And mm -hmm. granted, in your career now, you are and you have dealt with customers, which is a form of communication. And you have to be good at it to mm -hmm. be good at your job. But right now, for this part of the interview, I want to focus on how did you find your dream job? How did you get to that path of finding that you wanted to work in National Park Services? Because I'm going to guess that that wasn't something that you left high school and went, I'm going to go to Purdue 
to do communications, and then I'm going to be a park ranger. Yeah. Like, that's not a normal path. <laughs> yeah, it definitely didn't go down that way. Um, but I do want to point out, oh, I have found there are a lot of schools and majors that are geared towards outdoor recreation. Oh, that's cool. So there are a lot, I mean, I had, you know, bottomless wallet. I would go back and get <laughs> all these different outdoor degrees. So there is the option, but as I reflect back, I still love my degree and it's still very valid and the reason why I ended up in communication it took a year and a half of playing around was I felt like communication could take me a lot of different ways so I knew at that point I didn't I knew that I didn't know (laughs) I I was very sure that I had no clue what I wanted to do but I wanted a degree that would allow me to do a lot. Mm-hmm. And so that's where communication came in. Mm-hmm. And the category of communication that I specialized in is two-way communication. I think a lot of people think communication is a one-way street. It's mm-hmm. communication is the words I say and then they're out there, which is not the case. I focused on communication that was saying something. Okay, how is that perceived? Okay, I hear your side. I'm now going to change my communication. Sure. And we'll keep doing that back and forth Mm -hmm. to meet each other's needs. And so I started doing communication. Um, You know, there's, it's a huge umbrella term, huge umbrella term, (laughs) you know, communication, marketing, public relations, social media, Mm -hmm. all in this big realm of communicating with people. Yep. And... I started thinking about where this could take me, what jobs I could have with this degree. And dishearteningly so, I found out that there were a lot of jobs I could do that I wouldn't be comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. Every time I talk to people about my degree and why I decided to do what I did, my degree, harshly put, is to make people think and feel certain ways without them knowing it. And a lot of (laughs) Companies, I think, take advantage of that fact. Um, I think it's important to note that good PR, good communication skills is how a lot of very bad people have gotten into power. Sure. If you're really, really good at this, you can get... You can get people into power that shouldn't be there. Yeah, yeah. And the the book that I just wrote, one of the chapters is communication for a reason. Because I don't think you can be an effective leader mm-hmm. if you don't know how to communicate properly. Yeah. And yeah, that's exactly... Yeah, so it's saying. a Spider-Man thing, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> um, so I wanted to be able to use my degree for something I stood behind. I couldn't go just work at a firm for a company that sold a product that I didn't stand behind. And Mm -hmm. I was stubborn on that fact. It had to be something I believed in. And I think it's important that it was something I believed in because I wouldn't have done a good job. Sure. Half of my success has come from my passion and genuine enthusiasm for what I'm speaking of. I wasn't acting. It was easy to do my job because I I genuinely believed in it. Mm Mm-hmm. So starting, I think it was junior, senior year, I was thinking, okay, where where am I going to use these skills? Regardless of what your business is, regardless of what industry it is, mm-hmm. 99% of the time, you will have to communicate. There, You yep. will have to interact with someone. I don't know a single company that doesn't talk 
to someone else. Yeah, whether it's online or, yeah. or person to person. Like, you will have yeah. to talk to people. Yep. And you, a lot of companies will need someone to talk to their clients, guests, visitors, customers, whatever you want to call them. Um, they need that person. So I decided I was going to be that person for something I stood behind. Mm-hmm. So then it started, okay, well, what do I like? What do I really enjoy? Um, and I was able to circle around to the outdoors, nature. I was lucky enough to have a, a mom and dad who took me camping and hiking and taught me the appreciation and beauty of what just sitting around a fire mm-hmm. with no no other sounds. The, that in itself is an experience. Sure. So, okay, the outdoors, that's where I want to do. How can I be a voice in the outdoors? And so I started looking at the National Park Service, and I won't lie, I was so naive. Even between the relationship of the National Park Service and the government, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I did not immediately think that this was a government job. Like sure. I said, I was naive about it. I, I didn't realize that I would be looking in the government sector. Uh-huh. So I started looking at the different ways that people got into the Park Service, and the government world is 100% different than corporate world in terms of getting a job. Yep. And I had just spent three years practicing corporate grace. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked at different pathways and there are a lot of different pathways to get into the park service. If you're interested in it, you should look up the student conservation association, SCA. Mm-hmm. A lot of my coworkers got their start in the park service through the SCA. Mm-hmm. Um, but you didn't. I did not. Okay. There's internships. It is, it is difficult to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. So, I also happened to be at a university that had a really great career resource. And so I was signed up on their job posting website. And, you know, it's senior year, getting closer and closer to graduation. Mom and dad keep asking me what I'm going to (laughs) do. And so I'm on that, the Purdue webpage, along with like six other job searching webpages. And I happened to see a posting for interpretive park ranger. Okay, so park service. Um, I don't know what interpretive means. Mm -hmm. And then I go through to the the description and it was need to work at a visitor center to communicate with visitors and help them plan their trips, need to write and present, you know, different programs about different wildlife topics. Mm -hmm. It was basically saying, you know, be the customer service of the outdoors. Yep. And so I applied to that and I want to make a distinction that a lot of people don't know. My first two years with the park service I was not an employee of the government. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked for the National Park Service, but my paycheck and everything came from Grand Teton Association. Hmm. So some parks, they have nonprofits. So Grand Teton Association, who manages all the different like gift stores and the visitor centers, they have enough in their budget each year to hire on employees in a couple different departments. To fill the gaps that the government employees don't yeah, fill? Yeah, because okay. you know, the government can't ask for that money. So Guaranteed Down Association helps with a multitude of different projects, mm-hmm. um, a lot of different projects. But one of the things they can provide is additional workers. Um, so I was technically a park naturalist, a Grand Teton associate. I asked my boss if I could call myself a ranger. She goes, Grace, you're a ranger. That's what we consider you. (laughs) Um, So I got this job, which it was uh, nerve wracking. Um, When I first did the interview, the person that called me back, they go, you did great. We loved you. 
we gave the job to someone else. So my heart dropped, and then two seconds later, he followed it up with, but one of my other supervisors has not finished hiring yet, and so I'd like you to talk with her. So I interviewed with Elizabeth Mackey, who Mm -hmm. was the district supervisor at Grand Teton National Park, Mm -hmm. and I was able to secure a position there. I didn't even heard about the park. I can't even lie. I didn't. I'd never heard of Grand Teton National uh, I, Park. I mispronounced it, and, oh, yeah. like for a couple months. Yep. It, I called it Grand Teton. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody does, and every now and again, I still question myself. I'm like, am I saying yeah. that right? <laughs> Grand Teton. So I had never heard of it. I just knew that this job lined up with my skills, and that I would be going to a national park. Mm-hmm. I look back on how little I knew about that entire industry mm-hmm. um, and what I know now but it was getting that internship that got my foot in the door so sure. I went out to the park and I want to point out the differences again I did everything that all my coworkers did mm-hmm. I did the exact same thing was expected of me but I wore a different uniform mm-hmm. the uniform thing might not seem important in the park service mm-hmm. it's Everything coming from the military means a heck of a lot to me. <laughs> a lot of our, our a lot of our dress codes were military based. Sure. So uniform was a big thing. My first two seasons, I did not get to wear the green and gray uniform. When I say green and gray, it's that gray shirt and those green pickle pants <laughs> and the standard Stetson flat hat mm-hmm. that you think of when you think of park ranger. Mm-hmm. So I was doing everything that my coworkers did, but I had a different uniform mm-hmm. and. That mattered. Uh, I wanted that green and gray uniform. Sure. So I did the Grand Teton Association. I did that for two seasons. Most people don't realize that National Park Service work is seasonal. Mm -hmm. It is very, very difficult to get permanent within the Park Service. I could do a podcast on the different politics of... The complexities of... of The the hiring of National Park Service. It is way it is intense yeah it is very very intense and there's a lot i didn't know so my second season i was asked to come back out Mm -hmm. um, by my supervisor but i did not meet the requirements to get green and gray Mm -hmm. and honestly it wasn't a matter of what i was skilled as i was skilled to be green and gray Mm -hmm. i messed up something online with the hiring Hmm. and i didn't answer questions correctly enough so I didn't get pushed through Hmm. so regardless it was out of naiveness um, maybe a little bit but I was still going back out to the park I was still getting to do the job I knew that I was a park ranger just unfortunately from a visitor's perspective I wasn't wearing that uniform and most of the time it really wasn't an issue Mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't know that's why you specified it because a lot of people don't understand but there were still times when someone would come up and they'd go, we'd like to talk to a park ranger. They wanted someone in the uniform, even though I'm just as qualified. <laughs> um, so a lot of times there, it mattered. And the yeah. other reason why I say the uniform mattered so much, mm-hmm. one, interpretive park rangers are, as I said, the face and voice of the park. So mm-hmm. we're representing it. We're sure. the first thing that a family sees, you know, besides the giant mountains yep. and stuff like that. Yeah. We're the first thing that they see. And every employee meeting we had, the superintendent, the deputy superintendent, any of my superiors talked about wearing that uniform 
with pride. Mm -hmm. Wear that with pride. Make sure it looks nice. I don't care if you are on the janitorial staff or your science and resource management. You wear your uniform with pride. Yep. So for the first two summers, it was actually hard to hear that sometimes yep. of how much that uniform mattered, and I wasn't able to wear it. Sure. The uniform was everything. Mm-hmm. My third season, I was asked once again to come back out, and I got to stay for my longest period of time, and I was able to make green and gray, and that is like a huge <laughs> thing. I mean, tons of my coworkers congratulated me. It is yeah. a big thing to get green and gray. I bet. I got to wear the Stetson... Smokey the Bear flat hat. <laughs> How I, I happy were you? It, I was overjoyed. I mean, I had to keep reminding myself, like, Grace, this is the National Park Service. Yeah. Everyone knows what this is. This is look, this was called America's Greatest Idea, and mm-hmm. I was about to be an employee of America's Greatest Idea. And it's such a unique job. That's not a job that a lot of people have that you can just go on LinkedIn and like, oh, let's go find a bunch of people that do this. It's never there's a category a... when they say career for what I'm looking for. Park ranger's <laughs> never on there. It's like there's accountant, marketing, no park ranger category. It's so that, that's got to mean something to you because just out of the current population, that's small, but the entire population of America since the national parks have been around, that's a handful of people that have actually been able to hold the title yeah. of park ranger. So that had to feel pretty special for yeah. you. And I had never been a uniform person. Mm-hmm. I did not like uniforms or the idea of it. I thought they were silly. Like, I can do my job without it. Yeah. This changed everything. I got to wear a badge with the National Park Service symbol on it. Mm. On my sleeve was the the arrowhead. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> I, I got to wear that on my belt. I mean, it, it was it was a big thing getting to wear that. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was wearing a costume the first few weeks. I was like... Am I really? Is this? I'm really a park ranger. Is this it? Um, and then eventually, the uniform itself—it it felt like my uniform. It was yeah. no longer just a—it wasn't a costume or anything like so that. So listeners can't see, but you've been smiling for the last five minutes straight, talking about this. <laughs> if it doesn't come across, you were it, it, just reliving it. Yeah. makes you ridiculously happy. It was the idea to work so hard for something, mm-hmm. and then to achieve it. I can't put words to what that yeah. feels but, but like. it also aligns with something that you kind of defined as your dream job. Like, that's what you wanted to do. And I dislike the phrase dream dream job because it's thrown around so much. And, mm-hmm. and there's so many people that say, you need to find your passion and all this. And I think you can be perfectly happy mm-hmm. without finding your passion. But it's, it sounds like you found that. And that's something that I did want to specify to try to break down for listeners, especially any young listeners that we have in college that are trying to find their own path and try to find their own passion or, or whatever job it is that they want to do. If you could break it down, uh, you did break it down in, mm. in your story, but just a bit more concise. How did you find your dream job? And then did you have to put more work into it than you thought to try to land and secure that job? One, because it was such a rare job that mm-hmm. I'm sure lots of people apply for it. Mm-hmm. But then also, two, you're invested in it at a different level than it just being a a job at a company that you were trying to get because... You needed to make money. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of my motivation came from the fact that, I mean, I grew up in Southern Indiana. I grew up in the Midwest. I had watched my parents do jobs that they did not like. Mm -hmm. They did what they needed to do to help provide for their family. And I will be forever grateful for that. But Mm -hmm. I watched them not do what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And 
I wanted to make sure at my young age, I was setting myself up to do something that I wanted, or at sure. least, like I said, could stand behind. Mm-hmm. To be honest, the transition of my last semester of college, applying to this job and getting out to the park service, mm-hmm. I can't say that that was all calculated. Sure. Some of that felt like, I mean, I feel incredibly lucky. I worked very hard for what where I am, mm-hmm. and I made, you know, I did a find that job posting. I did apply for it. I mm-hmm. did, you know, have a great interview. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, I mean, what if I had just missed that posting? Sure. I think about that all the time. Yeah. Where would if you I be right just, now? I can't even, uh, <laughs> I don't know. But I think of if I had just missed that job posting, mm-hmm. I don't know where I would be. So there was a lot of, they just happened, but I try not to say it just happened too often. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I did put the work in. I did sure. search, and a little bit of right place, right time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah. So that that's one thing that I, I think one of the questions I was asking the amount of time that you had to put into applying and applying and applying because there are many levels of applying for a job and then getting interviewed after you can even land the interview mm-hmm. and then all that. That must have been a lot of work that. I'm sure the current you is super happy that the college yeah. you p- decided to put all that time in instead of watching another yeah. episode on Netflix or going to the bars or whatever. Exactly. So, you know, I, I say, I ha- what if I had not seen that job posting, but I did see the job posting mm-hmm. and I was ready for it. I had been, you know, with AK Psy, mm-hmm. I was interview ready. Mm-hmm. I knew what I needed to do. I'd been practicing interviews. Mm-hmm. I created a very professional resume Mm -hmm. i you know reached out to people to to help it wasn't just you know i can't remember the phrase where luck is where opportunity meets preparedness meets preparation you probably were the one that told me that (laughs) um so i I was prepared for it and i was Mm -hmm. i was a good candidate and the professional building that had done in aksi was Mm -hmm. without a doubt Something that helped me. Yeah. Um, I approached this job just as I would any other job. If it had been a marketing firm, you know, in Chicago, if it had been anywhere else, I approached it the same way. Mm -hmm. And I think why I've been able to do what I have, uh, it's a combination of one, okay, I have a degree in this area. I have experience in this area. Mm -hmm. I also think I have some innate traits to allow me to succeed in the communication or customer service field. Sure. So I think a combination of all that and just a little bit of right place, right time um, is what got me there. Yep. In college, I was prepping for anything and everything. Yeah, because you didn't know where (laughs) where you're going to end up. Yeah, like I said, I would approach any job interview at that point with the same professionalism that I did with the park service. Mm -hmm. It just happened to be I was applying for a job that I was very much interested in. Mm -hmm. But even at that point, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't know exactly what an interpretive park ranger was. I didn't know how the National Park Service worked. There was a lot that was unknown. Mm -hmm. And I think think you're hitting on something that is in line with the advice that I give to a lot of college students, because I work with a lot of college students. And oftentimes I will get the question of either, can you give me some advice on what major I should major in? Or can you give me some advice on what job or industry I should go into? And first off, that is also always a difficult thing to to answer to somebody because 
even people that have been in their careers years and years and years mm. don't really know what they want to be when they grow up. Yeah. There are still people that make changes in their careers when they're in their 30s or 40s and, yep. and they're still trying to find out what they want to do. But the advice that I give that I think is accurate is you do know what type of person you want to be. Yeah. You do know that. It might not you might not know the fine details yeah. of what that person does or has done or will do, but you kinda know where you should end up. And for me, that was evident because I was on the business side of things mm-hmm. and I had experience in the Marine Corps doing supply chain. And so I knew that even though I didn't know if I needed or wanted a, a management degree or an accounting degree or economics degree or, or whatever, with whatever combination of specifications or minors, I knew that business school was yep. where I needed to be and wanted to be. And so it kind of sounds like what you were saying, that finding what you wanted to do was step one. And then whenever you came across that listing, since you knew what you kind of wanted to do... Mm-hmm. You knew that that was in line with the type of job that you wanted, even though you didn't know like what yeah. that even entailed yeah. or or if it was going to be the career that you always wanted to do. Yeah, it was a loose goal. I mean, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know the fine details. And I think that's okay not to know the fine details. But I knew the overarching goal and that this would be a step towards that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know exactly where I'd end up, but it be somewhere where I wanted to be. And you wanted to be outside and that Um, lets you focus on being outside. Yeah. And you wanted to communicate. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, there's that, the period of finding the job, applying for it, and then getting out there all seems like a blur. But I think a lot of really honing in on what I wanted to do was that first summer. Mm -hmm. That's when I learned about the whole hiring process, about the whole industry. I was thrown into a workplace surrounded by people who wanted to make the outdoors their their goal Mm -hmm. and i keep thinking about that phrase luck is you know when preparation meets um opportunity opportunity (laughs) i kept that in the back of my head i still do so the first thing i did out that summer i networked Mm -hmm. i reached out to the public affairs officer for that park hey can i come shadow you Mm -hmm. i was on the social media team Mm -hmm. i was at that point still figuring out what i wanted to do Mm -hmm. But I was going to make the most of it network. And so when a different opportunity came around within that realm, I'd have what I needed to either, you know, apply or get the job. So it was, like I said, constantly working towards that overarching goal. Mm-hmm. I think a big battle, though, it wasn't so clear cut, was still kind of combating the idea and perceptions that other people had of what I was doing. Sure. I mean, a lot of people, technically it was an internship. Yeah. No, I think I heard my boss refer to it as an internship once. Mm-hmm. Um, but the seasonal lifestyle. Yeah. Midwesterners don't do seasonal lifestyles. Mm-hmm. That is, I don't know a lot of seasonal workers within, you know, the, the Midwest. But out out West, mm-hmm. seasonal is everything. I was talking to people who, you know, six months ago, they were down in New Mexico as a park ranger. And then six months before that, they were up in Alaska as a park ranger. Sure. And six months before that, they were, you know, at this park. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was meeting people who were, who were living that lifestyle and, you know, they joke that park rangers are paid in sunrises and sunsets. And <laughs> I always told my visitors, sunrises and sunsets don't pay off college loans. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of different things going through my head. It was not, I didn't have the pure luxury. I think that some people do of go find your dream. Mm-hmm. If you don't find it at first, that's okay. Like 
I had to very much think about money in mm-hmm. my decision making. Sure. I just didn't want that to be the only factor. Mm-hmm. I, I very much had to consider, you know, will this provide health insurance down the road? Will this be enough to pay off my college loans? Will I be able to survive off this? Do I want to move around? Choosing to go back year after year and learning more each time. I'm glad that I did because each time I learned more about what I wanted to do. But it wasn't just, here, Grace, you have free reign to go find your passion. Yeah. It was a very conscious effort. Mm-hmm. And I, I did. A lot of the times, I mean, to this day, I still sometimes get feelings of of guilt. You know, could I be doing something different to pay off my loans quicker, mm-hmm. to provide for my parents right now? Mm-hmm. And I'm doing a long-term investment right now. Sure. I'm going to be happier down the line. I'm not as worried about it as I used to be, but, you know, a lot of my friends right now are houses and cars and oh you have a 401k how nice like (laughs) oh you've lived in the same area for longer than six months Mm -hmm. um or you have roots somewhere (laughs) yeah like you you have an address oh that's cool but i've been really trying not to compare my timeline to other Mm -hmm. people but i did want to point out that it wasn't easy peasy to yes. just go choose this. Yeah. There were safer options. There mm-hmm. were other jobs yeah. that probably paid more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also some of the advice that I try to give to people as well, that there's no one-size-fits-all answer to what job or industry I should go into. Mm-hmm. There are lots of statistics out there that will show your starting salary, and if you start at a certain starting salary right out of college... Then further down the line, how much more money you will have than if you started at a lower starting mm-hmm. salary. And for people who either place a ton of importance on security, then that's the way they should probably go. Or if there are people that need to support a family, that's probably the way that they should go. Oh, yeah. That's not the route for everybody, though, for happiness. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times I always think that at the end of your life, if you have X amount or X plus 200,000 mm-hmm. amount in your bank account, does that really weigh the amount of happiness that you're going to have mm-hmm. over your life? And for some people, it might. Yeah. It truly might. It depends on your background and how you were raised and so many different other factors. But I, I do like that part of your story and, and placing importance on it because it kind of shows the differences that people have when it comes to what's important to them. Yeah. I want to acknowledge that I mean, I had privilege to be able to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I came from a super wealthy background, mm-hmm. but I have privilege right now to be able to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I remember being so upset in college when people would say the phrase, follow your dream. Mm-hmm. I was like, that is the most privileged statement I can think of. Follow my dreams, travel the world. No, people have to survive. Most people are just trying to survive. They get jobs so that they can survive. Mm -hmm. You know, you wanted some practicality behind exactly. (laughs) I I hated all the Instagrams of the girls that were traveling the world that said, "Just do it. Just follow your dreams." I did it. Like, yeah, off your trust fund. (laughs) So I do want to acknowledge that I did have certain privileges, and Mm -hmm. I understand this how frustrating just follow it's not just follow your dream Mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes behind it and that was something that i weighed Mm -hmm. for the next three years was this back and forth between 
what's realistic, what's financially responsible, what am I passionate about, mm -hmm. what will I like to do, can I make a career out of this, will my parents approve, mm -hmm. will my family approve. I mean, I was jumping back and forth between all of that, trying to see if there was some way I could find a middle ground. Mm -hmm. And that's what I ended up finding this past year, was that I could, I could find that middle ground. Mm -hmm. um, and that's trekking guide. Yeah, but, well, the outdoor industry. The outdoor industry in general. Yeah, in yep. general. Yep. Like, okay, maybe, I mean, I, I still think sometimes I could go make a ton of money. I could do that mm -hmm. in the outdoor industry. Yeah, it's a I big could, industry. Yeah, I could like to work my way up in the guiding mm -hmm. industry. Yep. I don't always have to be a guide. Mm -hmm. I could be the person that manages all the guides. Sure. I could be the person that manages all the trip styles. Mm -hmm. I could be the person that's in charge of marketing for this outdoor brand. Mm -hmm. I realized I could be the successful business person that might have more, you know, financial freedom mm -hmm. within an industry that I stood behind. Mm -hmm. And so I, I found that middle ground of I have job security and my dream. Mm -hmm. And so that was the thing I, I was searching for. Yeah. Is this a reasonable option for me to keep coming out here and farthering my career as an interpretive park ranger or mm -hmm. I like to refer to myself as an outdoor experience professional. Okay. Because as a park ranger, my job was to make sure that you had a great national park experience. Mm -hmm. You know, the National Park Service mission statement is to preserve and protect for the enjoyment of the people. Mm -hmm. And so it's connecting those people to the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be doing that in some way or another. As a backpacking guide, I will be creating an outdoor experience. Mm -hmm. And so I, I found the realm that I, I, you know, I want to work in. And it just so happens that you can 100% make a career out of that. You can pay off bills with that. Yeah. Because people want to pay money to have a really good experience outdoors. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. <laughs> uh, one last thing on this topic as far as dream jobs go. I think it's important to, sh to, to note that what I think you're displaying are that there are two ways that you could try to find your dream job or dream position or just uh, something that you enjoy professionally. And it's either industry-based or position-based. Hmm. You found industry-based. Yes. So you found the industry that you want to be in and you just mentioned, I have my foot in the door so I know I can provide this type of value to this industry. Mm -hmm. I'll start there and then I can skip around and do all these other jobs. Yep. For some people, they might find the work itself to be extremely valuable and they find what type of work they want to do mm -hmm. and then that can be applied to any industry. And you could have easily done that, but it sounds like you found the industry first. Yes. And yeah. I had never looked at it that way, but I'm definitely industry-based. Mm -hmm. And it's the same reason why I got a communication degree. It's the same reason why I move around every time. I don't want to be set in one place. Sure. And with my skill set, I mean, I could do special events. I could do marketing. I could do social media. I could do PR. I, I have the skills to do all of that. But if you ask me to pick just one, mm -hmm. mm, I, gotta, I don't think I could just <laughs> pick just one. So yeah, definitely I, I went industry-based and mm -hmm. there were many, many times that that was very difficult. Sure. When I did job searches, I was jealous of people that were dentists because what <laughs> jobs were they looking for? They wanted to be a dentist. 
You know, I was like, how nice that you know what exact job you're looking for. When I did job searches, it was like, what categories are you interested in? I'd click like 10 different things. I still that are do. not related at all. Yeah, just 10 different categories of jobs I could do. So sometimes it, it made the job search so broad that it was overwhelming. Sure. But I, I mean, unless you're the type of person that just really, really knows what you want to do, I think mm-hmm. narrowing down that job search is only going to come with time. Sure. Yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the way I was going to find out was mm-hmm. by trying different things. Sure. And in doing so, I was able to cut out the other stuff and narrow it down. I mean, that's why I think internships are there's like job sampling. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yep. And when I found what I wanted to do, I had everything that I needed to succeed at that. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're talking about these dream jobs. I had the resume writing skills. I had Mm -hmm. the interview skills. I had Mm -hmm. the people talking skills. I had the networking skills. Mm -hmm. These were all things that I got in college because I knew that no matter what I did, they would be important. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a park ranger who was part of a business organization. Joining that business organization is what has helped set me apart in a lot of different situations. Sure. It's not because I knew that I wanted to be in business. Mm -hmm. It wasn't anything to do with that. It was, this is something that's going to help me regardless. Mm-hmm. So having in your you know, your backpack, have everything that you need that when the opportunity there that, oh, this feels right. Oh, that is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You can jump on it. Yep. You're prepared for that. Yep. So you don't know exactly where you need to end up. Yep. That's a good term, backpack. It, yeah. I usually use a toolbox, but for your profession, yeah, backpack it's, it's makes a, sense. It's a backpack. It's not a suitcase. <laughs> it's a backpack. And... Um, it's very important to have what you need in your backpack, not because a situation is going to happen, but if it happens. There's mm-hmm. things in my backpack that, and I go on backcountry trips, I don't touch, mm-hmm. but it's there just in case that situation arises. Yep. And again, I said the last one was the last thing about dream jobs, but I think it's also important to note that whether you're in college or you're a young professional or you're a seasoned professional, if, if you find a job or a position or an industry that you want to go into, then you're going to have to get some more things to put in your backpack to make you a perfect candidate for that thing that you want. And I think it's vital for people to understand that a lot of times the people around you in your group are not going to understand why you're doing those things to, to, to better yourself. Yeah. The same way that when we were in college, being in a business organization, professional business fraternity, a lot of people didn't want to do that. And they would look at you weird if they weren't a part of a student organization because... They knew that they didn't want to do it because they wanted to go have fun doing something else. Why would you spend Tuesday night an hour and a half in a room with a bunch of other people doing things that are are, are very transactional and and ritualistic? That seems not fun for most people, Mm -hmm. but it's a means to an end. We did it because it helped us. Yeah, there wasn't an immediate return on that. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, oh, I went to that meeting last night. Wednesday was amazing. (laughs) It was more like I went to that meeting. I took on that job as special event coordinator. And now I can say I can plan an event and corral a hundred people, a hundred college students, I might add. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was one more thing that I could put in my backpack that would eventually help me down the line. And Mm -hmm. everything I do now, every skill I learn... I ask, will this eventually help me towards my ultimate goal? Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, in two weeks, I take my uh, wilderness first responder, Mm -hmm. uh, a two-week course with Knowles. The job I want, this will help me 
get there. Sure. Um, so, yeah, everything I do now is, is this something that will, is this a skill that will benefit me within my industry? Mm-hmm. And um, now it's, it's, it's easier to choose those skills because I know more defined what I want to do. But mm-hmm. in college, it was, will this help me down the line professionally? I could realistically say, okay, I, I, need, to, I need to know how to talk to people. Yep. I need to know how to interview. I need to know how to write a professional email. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I knew exactly what job I'd be using those skills for. Mm-hmm. I just knew I needed them. And I think people scoff at like things like writing an email. Everybody thinks, oh, I know how to write an email. Yeah. If it's like a business to business or you're talking to a customer or if it needs to be to the point, you need to make sure that you're capturing the right attention. Even the subject line has to have a certain amount of information in it and it has to be Crafted a certain way. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of things that go into that. Yeah. So, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go in college, but Mm -hmm. that shouldn't stop you from gaining the skills that could eventually benefit you. So, Mm -hmm. I wasn't just going to stand there lost and paralyzed. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's no need for me to get these other skills. Mm -hmm. I still was building skills that, that could translate across a variety of different jobs. So, you don't need to know exactly what you're working towards Mm -hmm. but start looking at skills that could help you in a you know let's say you have one field that you're interested in Mm -hmm. what are a couple skills that could eventually help you get into that that field sure and I think that mindset has really really paid off because Mm -hmm. now that I do know exactly what I want to do everything back when I didn't know it's relevant it's important I mean to the point that my serving jobs as a waitress have become extremely valuable in my current industry. Mm -hmm. It's still something that is pushing me towards my goal. And that's what I've um, been thinking a lot about this winter. You know, I'm in a situation I didn't expect to be where I am right now for Mm -hmm. these couple months, but I was still able to find something that pushed me towards my goal. So I didn't expect to be here But I found a job at an outdoor retailer Mm -hmm. where I got to learn outdoor gear really, really well. Mm -hmm. I got to continue talking to people, helping them plan their trips. Mm -hmm. Knowing your gear is is big within my industry. Sure. Once again, I found something that would ultimately help me towards my goal. Sure. You know, whatever that may be. Any last advice for people that are trying to find out what they want to do? Hmm. Take into stock what you really want to do and not what you want to do based off someone else's. I mean, I know that parents have influence Mm -hmm. where you're born. Sure. Don't look at what the people in your town have always done or Mm -hmm. what your mom and dad did. I know it sounds corny, but there's going to be risk Mm -hmm. if it's a decision like mine where, okay, this is the safe route versus the risky route. You're going to have to take some risk. I guess the biggest advice, if you're trying to figure out what you are what you want to do, you, you, you have to try a lot of different things. You're eventually going to have to try out these different things. I tried different jobs that told me, okay, I, I can't see myself doing this long term, but mm-hmm. I did this for six months. And during that time, I gained skills that I can take on to the next job that I try. Sure. So I think you will have to sample. I think you will have to try out a lot. Internships are are a huge way to get that sampling in. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, if you don't know what you do, that doesn't mean you have to stand there 
still. Mm-hmm. You can you can move forward. Mm-hmm. I I used to joke. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm moving forward. But you're going. Yeah, yeah. I'm still. <laughs> I'm, I don't know where this path. You know, this trail ends up. Mm-hmm. But I'm moving forward on the trail, and I I even said, even if I tripped and fell on the trail, I'm still falling forward. Like I'm yeah. still moving forward. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know, you don't have to immediately know. Mm-hmm. But whatever you're doing. In the meantime, make it valuable. Make it something that can translate into multiple situations. Mm-hmm. Unless you know exactly what your fine-tuned niche is. Mm-hmm. You know, like a dentist, it's pretty clear what you're going to probably be doing. <laughs> Get the skills that translate. Yeah. Find the stuff that will work in a multitude of different markets. Because everything I did up into finding, yes, I want to I work in the outdoor. I want to be in the outdoor industry. Everything I've done up until now is relevant. Mm -hmm. Even when I didn't know. I didn't know I would be a park ranger when I was in AKSI. Yeah. But the amount of stuff that I did in AKSI that became relevant when I was a park ranger, Mm -hmm. more than what you would think. (laughs) I didn't learn about bison as a park, you know, as an AKSI, but... um, (laughs) You you missed the bison chapter meeting that we had. Oh, God. (laughs) The bison one. (laughs) So I think that's really good advice, and and I think people will appreciate it, especially if they're in that place where where they don't know exactly what they want to do. I did want to touch on one last thing of something that you mentioned multiple times, and it was being customer-focused and then also weaving in communication to that. You, you, you spoke about that a bunch, and I think that's important for people to realize because, like you said... <laughs> no matter what job you get in, you're going to have to communicate with people. And the better that you're able to effectively communicate with people generally correlates with your success in whatever it is you're doing. And there's a major about it because not everybody can do it perfectly. Yeah. And once you get into any industry, you'll figure that out really quick because some people can communicate, some people can't. Unfortunately, it's not like eating. There's no college course on eating. Yeah. Because everybody knows how to eat. Yeah. It's really easy. Yeah. But there's so many complexities when it comes to communication and also customers. And and before I let you take it away on on maybe a couple things that you can explain to the listeners mm-hmm. about communication and customers that, that might help them, I would like to clarify on the thought of customers. Mm-hmm. And hopefully people will understand that even if you're not in sales, you have a customer. You could be an accountant that is doing accounting for your company. Whoever you give those numbers to, that is your customer. Yeah. Whoever uses the product that you are putting out is your customer. So mm-hmm. hopefully whenever people hear communicating with customer and customer service, they don't just think somebody giving you money in return for a product or service. That's not the only customer. There's a wide range of them. So do you have any words of advice for the listeners as far as being a better communicator? Yeah. I definitely think we undervalue the power of good communication. I mean, when it comes into play with networking, knowing how to talk to people. I mean, think about all the jobs that you've you've seen and someone was like, well, I just happen to know so-and-so. I just happen to have met so-and-so. So communication um, can lead to these awesome situations. Mm-hmm. Something that I'm always working on as a communicator, and it seems counterintuitive to it, but 
listening is a huge part of communication. Absolutely. I keep describing communication is a two-way street. If mm-hmm. I'm alone and I'm just talking, <laughs> it's not communicating, yeah. you know? That's, 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 not, that's not communicating. But I, I do want to also get advice from you for the one-way communication that is emails or, or messages that you're just sending it out one time mm-hmm. and then you're eventually going to get something back. Because I think that is a little bit different than getting instant feedback yep. like we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, so when it comes to emails, and I have evolved my email game over the years, when I write an email, I always put myself in the shoes of the person who is reading it. That is so important. It does not matter. This sounds so nice when I write it out like this. Mm -hmm. That's not as important as the person who's reading it. Mm -hmm. A big hurdle I got over, but it's made a big difference, is within professional emails, leave the touchy-feely stuff out of it. You know, if it's a short email that's to the point, no fluff, That's fine. It's a professional email, so remove the fluff. Mm -hmm. Think about how many emails you get a day. Mm -hmm. Seriously, think about how many emails you get a day. How many do you read? When you read them, do you skim it? Mm -hmm. Do you just read the first line? Do you just kind of browse over it? You have got to think about the person you are sending it to. That That is of above all importance. And so I have a method when I write my emails is I get straight to the point and to be honest, it was probably something you taught me or that I learned in AKSI or <laughs> something. But when I write an email, if I hadn't spoke with that person before, I say who I am, this is why I'm emailing you. Mm-hmm. Or if it's my boss, I would say, hey, I'm emailing you today to ask you about X. I mm-hmm. immediately say, this is what it's about. Yep. Remove all fluff. Yeah. Um, Especially at the beginning. I think uh, depending on the reason for the email, maybe you can add a little bit of flavor to yeah. the email. but. There can be if, a human aspect. If, if, but if, yeah, but if you started off that way and you don't have a specific reason mm-hmm. why the email is in somebody's inbox, then mm-hmm. they're probably not going to read it if, if they don't know what the purpose of the email is. Yeah, yeah, and maybe, I mean, sometimes maybe I take a too much of a robotic approach to it, but I try to be as absolutely clear and straightforward and easy to read. Mm-hmm. I love bullet points in my email. Mm-hmm. I'll say, I'm emailing you about this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. My questions are A, B, C. Sure. There's always going to be general niceties that you have to add to make it sound nice and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I think a huge thing with emails that I see a lot of the times is you have got to remove the fluff. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the best approach, but I think about all the emails you read. Yeah, no. Is I, this going to be important to the person sending it? No, I think that is really good advice because time is very valuable, and if yeah. you can save somebody some time, especially if it's a customer, then that's huge. Yep. And so, kind of dovetailing off that, is there any overlap in how to be a better or more effective communicator, regardless of it being? Two-way communication, Mm -hmm. just talking face-to-face or email when you're dealing with customers. The thing I see that's the same is I'm constantly thinking about the other person. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly thinking about how they're perceiving what I'm saying. I'm thinking about what they are either expecting, what they're looking for, who they are. I'm always thinking about the other person as the utmost importance when communicating. So you're employing empathy. You're putting yourself in their shoes. Empathy. That's the right word. And then, so the, I think there's a there's a prep 
that goes into that because you have to do that. You have to put your mindset or your your your, your mind in that mm-hmm. um, place before interaction, and then I'm assuming, especially face to face, there's a constant. They're providing feedback, and then you're working off that. Is that is that pretty accurate? Yeah, I mean, for an example, and this, why putting myself in the person's shoes is so important. So I had tons of visitors that would come in, and they just would ask, "What do I do? <laughs> what, do what do I do?" And it would be really easy on my end to be like, "Maybe I did behind the desk uh, joke about like, what do you mean? What do you do? It's a national park. It's beautiful." And you had a purpose for coming here. What, what's your purpose? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you know, a lot of the times I like to reference. I would have the stressed out mom who mm-hmm. would come up. She has three kids around her that are screaming. Mm-hmm. Her husband is being her husband. <laughs> and she just comes up. Maybe she's a little bit frustrated. She's not talking to me in the nicest way. And she goes, well, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Here I have a woman who has a family to take care of. She has probably saved up a lot of money. She probably driven or flown to this park. Spent a lot of time trying to make this vacation happen Mm -hmm. and she wants this to be a good experience Mm -hmm. okay i'm now in the mindset this is a stressed out mom with three kids she has this amount of time i'm going to communicate to her as that person Mm -hmm. i don't talk to every single person the same way Mm -hmm. and this isn't me trying to make judgments on people it's just reading the person Mm -hmm. It's not me assuming who they are. It's just yeah. reading the person in that situation. Yeah, it's not um, applying a stereotype to somebody. You're just trying to get into their shoes so that you can speak to them more effectively. Yeah, I'm not going to go tell them about the 10-mile hike. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to them about the family-friendly opportunities. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to tell them that they can go kayaking. I'm going to tell her, if you go up to this location, you can get a kayak mm-hmm. for this price. Here's the directions. This is how you get there. You know... I provided the information because a lot of times when you're talking with someone, they're not going to write out, say what they want or mm-hmm. what they need. No yeah. one ever is that clear. Like it, We honestly we don't live in that world. Your job could have been a robot if that was the case. They exactly. could just type in exactly what they want. Exactly. I'm there to answer the questions that they didn't ask mm-hmm. but want answers for. Yep. And so, you know, if I have two younger kids, I'm not going to say... Yeah, go stay at the cabins that cost, you know, $200 a night. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help them find the, the Forest Service Road where they can go, you know, disperse camp mm-hmm. for free. I'm communicating to them. Mm-hmm. I, and I think I'd also like to point out that uh, you mentioned you don't treat every single customer the exact same. One of the things that uh, I smile and chuckle at is... I'm sure everybody's been in this situation, whether it's with a phone company mm-hmm. or a cable company or a very large organization that you have to call customer service. And then they say, how can I help you? And you describe what you want, why you're calling. And then they all have the bottled line. So here is your problem. And I'm very happy to help you today. And it sounds so robotic. And no matter who you call, they all answer you in the exact same way. Yep. Which is, I guess, good for quality control and they want to make sure that they have a, a certain standard for customer service. Mm-hmm. But it is completely disingenuine. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like they're treating me as a person. It's, it's completely transactional. Mm-hmm. And so I do see what you're saying. There are some things that are going to apply to anyone. Mm-hmm. So I love when I talk on customer service with Apple. Okay. Or- I haven't done that. 
or when I talk to customer service, I just changed banks to um, Discover. Okay. Just listen to what these people say and how they say it because I know that they have a team of researchers Mm -hmm. that have spent lots of time and money figuring out what are the best things to say to to people. So Mm -hmm. there are, I acknowledge the the individualness, but there are certain things that I can apply to anyone. And a lot of the situations are when people are angry. Okay. And that's why... Everyone, no one calls customer service because they're just really happy. Because <laughs> they wanted a yeah. compliment of product or yeah, service. Yeah, like I'm having a really great time with this. It's working <laughs> wonderfully. Thank you. Just wanted to drop you a line. Bye. Yeah. So I also want to put out there that be nice mm-hmm. to customer service. I could go do a whole podcast on <laughs> how we um, we treat that industry. But you might not notice, but the, the way they say things, it is 100% strategic and they've gotten really really good at what they say and how they say it to making a customer feel heard mm-hmm. um, I mean honestly I take those phone calls as just like training tips because <laughs> um, they they have figured out a way to talk to people mm-hmm. I mean we're not stupid anymore we we have data to back up the right way to say things sure you know dealing with someone who's upset that's a, a huge part of communication that you should you should know how to handle that mm-hmm. and as someone who has worked in waitressing and retail i have had many many people be mad and upset with me mm-hmm. it might not be because of anything that i've done mm-hmm. personally but i am the punching bag yep and as the punching bag i am there to meet their every need <laughs> so you know think customer service yes i use empathy as much as I can, mm-hmm. as much as I can, because it helps my communication style sound more genuine. And guess what? Genuineness, it comes off mm-hmm. when you're talking to people. People aren't stupid. Yeah. They, they, they can tell when you're and you're playing them. Mm-hmm. Even like subconsciously, they can tell when you're not being. Dangerous. Yeah. So I like that you said subconsciously, they're going to be reacting different. And if you have even just the slightest hint of hey, I get what you're going through, and that mm-hmm. sucks. Mm-hmm. Here's what I can do to help you. Mm-hmm. So definitely have that genuineness, but there are certain techniques yeah. to that you can use to talk to people to have a positive outcome at what, the end. What's one of your favorite ones? What's your go-to? <laughs> I'm really sorry that happened to you. That's not okay. right. I'm really sorry that, that you had that situation. I'm... I use that a lot. I'm immediately saying, hey, that sucked. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't have happened. And it did. I'm going to do what I can to correct it. Because a lot of the times, if someone says, well, this you know, this isn't what I ordered. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It doesn't matter if that's what they actually <laughs> ordered. I'm really sorry that you got the wrong plate. That shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge what... That's what they want. Yep. of people who come up and they complain to you, they want you to say, I was wrong. They They, really don't want... They they want validation. Amen. They want to be heard and they want to be validated. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who just... They just want to complain. Mm -hmm. And there's some people, if you're getting into communication, you will not make everyone happy. (laughs) Um, There are certain people out there that just... It's their goal in life to make customer service people sad. Mm -hmm. But you have to let them feel heard Mm -hmm. so that's my main goal is letting them be heard i'm not telling them that that's not true or Mm -hmm. how they feel is wrong Mm -hmm. i'm saying 
that stinks. I mean, yep. think about it when you're in a relationship mm-hmm. and you go to your, your partner to say, oh, I had this awful day at work and it just didn't work out well with my coworker. Do you want your partner to go, well, did you try emailing this? Why did you say it that way? Or it I, sucks to be you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you should try this. I like a lot of people look to their partner to be like, I'm sorry that you had a rough day. That yep. stinks. So making someone feel heard mm-hmm. is extremely important. And then the other technique that I've used a lot is I make the person feel like they're part of my plan. Okay. So, okay, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm able to do. Is it okay if I blank? Mm-hmm. Or I have no problem telling people that I don't know what to do. It's just how I say it. Okay. So the amount of times that I have said, you know what? I don't know the answer to that and I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. But I'd like to go talk to someone who does know a little bit more about that. Is it okay if I go out to reach to them? Mm-hmm. I've never had someone be like, no. <laughs> I want you to tell me that your best guess is. <laughs> Yep, I use and, that and, and all that the time. is totally different than I don't know. Hold on. If you are in <laughs> I loathe, I don't know, and no follow up. Mm-hmm. That that should never exist. Mm-hmm. And the only time that I will get upset at customer service cuz I'm, you know, I've been in it yeah, so yeah. I'm I'm really gentle. Yeah. is when they just say I don't know and there's nothing else after it. Yeah. I don't know, but I can find someone who does. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I would love to take time to look more into yep. this. Or I or I don't know, but I can do this or this or this. Yeah. So, so don't lie to them. Yeah. And don't don't be short yeah. with them. Yeah. And so you mentioned a lot of things with customers and I'm glad that you mentioned using those same techniques on a spouse because that's not what you would want to hear. Mm-hmm. Because I think you can also apply those type of communication techniques to more effectively communicate with people that are not outside customers coming in that it's not a, you know waitressing job or retail or or you're not at a customer service desk mm-hmm. so i'm curious do you use those same techniques or variations of those techniques when you're working with coworkers? yeah yeah so uh, being able to admit fault and then wanting to improve after saying yeah i'm sorry that i did it that way mm-hmm. i'll do my best to not let it happen again i mean you just have to being able to admit fault, I think, is just is huge. One for you, and two for the other person. So, when working with coworkers, and what I do with my customers a lot of the time, there's nothing wrong with asking, "Well, what can I do to help make this situation better?" Because mm-hmm. you are going to come across people where it doesn't matter what you say, they're not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. And so, I have found a great way to figure out if they're actually just wanting to yell, or if they actually need something they just don't know how to say it as i goes like is there something i could do to help make the situation better and the people mm-hmm. who just want to yell are like oh uh i guess not no yeah like <laughs> when i start like a lot of the times i would have to say i'm really sorry that happened i'd be more than happy to get you a comment card that would do a lot more than me saying something to my supervisor mm-hmm. people who just wanted to be to yell they didn't write anything. They're like, oh, no. I was like, okay, well, you're not actually looking for change here. Um, so you can figure that out. So I think when you're interacting with coworkers, admitting fault sounds a little bit harsh. But admitting that you did something that was perceived poorly by someone else, like your action, you know, mm-hmm. and talking about like with your spouse too, I've heard this so many times. 
but that wasn't my intention. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter your intention. Mm-hmm. If it's with a coworker, well, that wasn't my intention in the meeting when I said that. Mm-hmm. So what you said was perceived this way. Mm-hmm. This person now feels this way because of what you said. Your intention, psh, no longer relevant. Sure. Yeah. So saying, I'm sorry that you said it that way. That was not, you know, that was not my intention, but I see how that made you feel this way. Mm-hmm. There's something that I can do next time. I mm-hmm. think it's letting the person be heard, mm-hmm. admitting your part in the situation, and then trying to mitigate it for the next time saying, hey, I did mess up. I'd like to not do that again. Sure. Can you help me uh, be part of that? Sure. I think that would work or does work a lot with my coworkers in the workplace or my superiors. They want to be heard. That's, that's such a big thing is just feeling like they can be heard. Sure. So it goes back to listening. Yeah. Yeah. Back to yeah. listening. And, you know, there is no just I don't know. You have to follow that up. Show mm-hmm. that there's something else. It's never going to be I don't know. There's always something else you can do. Mm-hmm. So there is no one way with communication. Yep. There is no one way. It, I mean, my email format, that sounded really, really cold compared to how I talk to my visitors. I would, I'd bend over backwards for my visitors. Sure. And I provide a lot of genuineness and even personal parts. I, I include that into my interactions. Mm-hmm. So there is no one, one way. How mm-hmm. I speak to my superior is different than how I would talk to a customer. So... Empathy is so important because it's going to help you figure out who you're talking to and how to talk to them. So back to if you're just in a room by yourself talking, that's not communication. Mm-hmm. It's it's who you're talking to, and so that's how I that's how I view it. Mm-hmm. It's who are you talking to? Even if you're an instructor, you have to know who your audience is. Mm-hmm. Know who your audience is. How you where did they come from? What is what is their background? Mm-hmm. You know, there we learned about that a lot in the park service on different demographics that we're speaking to. Like, understand that if you speak to this demographic this way, it might feel this way. Mm-hmm. You know, your intention might be X, but because of your audience, it's going to be perceived as Y. Yep. And it's funny because before this podcast, we both talked about like not stereotyping yeah. people, but like sometimes it, it it's helpful not to stereotype them, but to make sure that you're you're communicating as closely as you can to their type of communication style that is easier for them to understand. Yeah. You can't communicate with people only from your experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a huge problem we have in the world right now is not being able to have different perspectives. Mm -hmm. We don't understand that the way we see the world is 100% unique to us. Mm -hmm. The way I see the world is shaped by my upbringing, environment, my genetic makeup. You know, we all see the world differently. So when we're communicating, I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. But knowing your audience, it's it's everything. Yeah, I and mean, I think... that shows the difference between my emails and the way I talk to a, a visitor or a customer. Yeah, and I'm not a communication major, mm-hmm. but I always gravitated towards learning more about communication and being an effective communicator because I always thought it was so important from the beginning of the first textbook that I ever read about communication which was speech communication Mm -hmm. Um, and 
if I remember correctly, a huge part of it is eliminating noise. And once you employ empathy, you're immediately removing tons of noise. I'm so happy you said that because literally right before you said noise, I was going to bring up the point that what I like about your communication style is you remove noise. When you say something, it's not just fluff or words or just speech to fill up the space. Mm -hmm. What you say generally has a purpose. You can outline it as such. It's deliberate. Deliberate. Mm -hmm. That's speak with purpose. Mm -hmm. Next I think I, I think I speak like your emails. Yeah, look, and I love that. I love that. That's so nice and clear and refreshing to know that we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about maybe your partner or your friends and the amount of times you've been communicating to each other and thought, we are not on the same page. Mm-hmm. We are not talking about the same or hearing, thing. Or hearing two people talk and you realize they are barely speaking the same language. Yeah, exactly. So I've always liked about your... It's deliberate. Speak with purpose. Remove the fluff. And I mean, that's the biggest thing I've been working on. Mm-hmm. When I write or uh, verbal communication, I'm trying more and more to bring myself back to, does that need to be said? Mm-hmm. Is this important? Is this valid? Does that have purpose? Mm-hmm. So speak with purpose, be deliberate, do not just fill in the space. I mean, I've seen speeches, I've seen ranger programs, I've seen emails where I could cut out half of it. Mm-hmm. Try to say, next time you, like, you write a paper or yep. something like that, go back through and read it and really ask yourself, does that need to be there? Does mm-hmm. that word need to be there? Does that sentence need to be there? Yep. Could I have said that more condensed? Mm-hmm. And some of the writing that I've read that has I found really impressive. I was like, wow, they just got a really interesting, complex topic across in a short amount of text. Yep, and I think that comes with understanding what you're talking about at a deep level. If you can explain something succinctly yep. and very concisely, then that means that you really do understand it. Yep. And and then also I think the 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 deliberateness that I'm able to use whenever I'm communicating comes from the Marine Corps, comes from the military. There's a wild misconception about leading in the military that it's easier because the the members, the soldiers, Marines, airmen, sailors, and Coast Guardsmen are all expertly trained and supremely disciplined. And so you can bark orders and then they'll follow. And it blows my mind when people talk about it like that because if that was the case, then being a general would be the easiest job in the world. Yeah. You just tell them what you want them to do and then they would go and do it. Yeah. It is not that way at all. Can you imagine the amount of testosterone and alpha male (laughs) complexes that are in those rooms when you're trying to lead a group of Marines? When I say like testosterone that's not just males oh yeah there are strong-willed females and males in the military and imagine trying to lead that group and to make them do something that they don't want to do you have to command their attention from beginning to end when you're trying to communicate an idea or a plan to them in order to do that you have to make sure that you eliminate all the fluff Mm -hmm. and you don't lose anybody's attention because as soon as you lose somebody's attention and you say something that they needed to hear but they didn't then you failed. Yeah. And I think that's where that comes from. So yeah. I, I, I really appreciate you 
acknowledging that and using those kind words to describe my communication style, but reflecting on it, I think that's, that might be where it comes from. Yeah, no, it makes, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I just, you know, as president of AKSI, there just wasn't, there wasn't fluff. Mm-hmm. And um, especially when we're talking about writing in a professional aspect, sure. remove the fluff. <laughs> Seriously, you have got to, once you start thinking about the other person, you know, thinking about who your audience is, you can really think about, okay, what do I need to say? What does this person need to know? What is important? Mm-hmm. What what needs to be said? Sure. Otherwise, it's just, it's just words that take up space. I mean, I remember one of the biggest things I learned in my... Um, advanced speech class was pauses pauses are part of speech silence Mm -hmm. is part of speech watch other speakers you know when I was writing my programs for the park service you know the amount of TED talks that I watched there's I mean there's definitely resources out there to say things with purpose Um, and I think some of your greatest writers and presenters they can get to that point of what they're trying to say, it doesn't have to be an hour-long speech. Yep, very shortly. And that's the thing I love about TED Talks. They're yep. not 90-minute, 80-minute talks about one thing. They can describe it yeah. very quickly, very yeah. shortly. Yeah. So I always like to end my podcast with a bunch of short questions for, for the person <laughs> I'm interviewing. So coffee or tea? Coffee, most definitely. It's <laughs> And to be honest, the drinking of it, is only like the last 10%. For me, I like the idea of making it, the smell, the way the cream swirls and that, like just the aspect of like then having the mug in my hands and something about having a cup of coffee. It's like, okay, something's beginning, something's starting. Sure. I'm very interested. I'm going from a Keurig machine. I use reusable. I don't use a little plastic cup, but I'm about to go from a Keurig to waking up, getting my tent, getting water, boiling the water, Pouring, like, I'm about to change my coffee routine in the morning, so I've been thinking about that a lot. Have you done the cowboy coffee way? Where you just have the grounds? Yep, and you just tap it and let it I've all settle to the, the ground. Yeah, I don't think my guests will like that. I, we don't, <laughs> this is still luxury um, backcountry camping, um, so they don't have to have their grounds in that's, it. But that's funny. coffee for sure, and I want cream in mine. Night or day? That's a hard one. Daytime? Mm-hmm. Daytime, except for the time frame between 1 p.m. and like 4.30 or 5 p.m. Okay. That chunk so the, of the afternoon is, for some reason, makes me anxious. The morning time. Yes. Yeah. I want to be a morning person. I am trying very hard to that be a morning person. That was my next question. Morning person or night owl? Morning person. I think, I mean, there are so many articles out there about the most successful people. They're up at 4 or 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. And and I think more, that, more important than that, they have a morning routine. Yeah. You don't have to be up at butt crack of dawn all the time. It helps. Yeah. But as long as you have a really solid morning routine, that helps a ton. When I wake up really early, like the fact that I'm waking up with the day, I just love that time of day. Because mm-hmm. the stress of all the day has not started. Everyone else hasn't started their day. It's just the world waking up and I feel like I just have everything. All the opportunities are right there. Yeah. At the morning, everything is a great possibility. <laughs> Star Wars or Star Trek? Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh, what was the first one? Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, uh-huh. I'm torn. My dad loves both, so I grew up watching both. Yep. I know more about Star Wars, though. 
And I'm going to stick with the original six. I'm not going to okay. count the new ones that All came the out. I think stuff, there's yeah. something, yeah. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings or Hobbit? Oh, I consider them the same. They're okay. all the same world. Gotcha. I'm trying, you understand how many times when I'm hiking that I imagine that I am um, in Middle Earth. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like Frodo right now. Just no ring. Um, not including Grand Teton, favorite national park that you've been to? Or fa- favorite park that you've been to? Because there are some that are state parks that are not national parks, Yeah, right? yeah. And so uh, to answer this, it doesn't have to be a national park. Mm-hmm. I, When I was a park ranger, I didn't speak about protecting national parks. Mm-hmm. I spoke about protecting public land. Okay. And to be honest, I really haven't been to that many national parks. Okay. So I think if I'm going to answer that, I'm going to talk about the first park I ever experienced, and that was Clifty Falls State Park in okay. southern Indiana, down on the Ohio River. Okay. It is not a very big park, but I know those trails from when I was a kid, and my dad took us hiking. Mm-hmm. I know those trails from high school when I was in cross country, and we go on trail runs. And there has not been one visit home where I have not gone to Clifty. I visited home about a month ago, mm-hmm. and of the three days I was home... I think I hiked in Clifty every one of those days. Okay. So it is a, for me, it's um, a, there's an emotional connection. Sure. I remember very distinctly being a little kid and going to the nature center. So like their, their visitor center. Yep. Super small. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't fancy or anything, but when I was a kid, that was just, I mean, I, I can feel that memory. It just brings up those same emotions sure. of being at that visitor center looking through the, you know, two-way mirror to watch the birds and the rangers there that got to talk and teach me about the animals. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, Clifty Falls State Park was the first park That's I ever awesome. got to be a part of. That's awesome. So, um, Top of your list for parks that you want to visit? Uh, basically any park in New Zealand. Okay. There's so many, and it's hard because I'm trying to put my focus not on the top 10 national parks. Like, sure. Yeah, I want to see Yosemite. Yeah, I want to see Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other beautiful places, and I'm going to go back to public land. Mm-hmm. It's public lands. I yeah. have forest service ranges that are my ultimate favorite. The petrified forest always sounded cool to me. Yes, it yeah. is very interesting, this whole area of trees that have just become rock. Yeah. Um, I guess... Where do I really want to see? Alaska. Any that's what that's what yeah. be it. Alaska. If I was sure. if I was to pick a national park, any of the parks in Alaska. I mean like Katmai, the Kenai Fjords, Alaska. Because it's basically one big park anyways. <laughs> so you you were a swimmer in high mm-hmm. school? How fast do you think you could uh do your 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 best I don't know what is it was it called like 50 meters or yeah well I wasn't much of a I didn't do the sprinting too much if I was to do my hundred if I was to go out and do my hundred meter backstroke right now right now my record being a minute point six one yeah I'm no doubt I think I could definitely still do on I could do a minute oh five okay because I've been keeping myself in shape because my next job literally requires me to be healthy (laughs) and physically active and um i've always considered myself i mean i'm i'm as comfortable in water as i am on land so i think i could still 
I mean, I still hold the record at my high school, so <laughs> no one nope. else is being that yet. <laughs> Nobody saw, but she just flipped her hair when she said that. <laughs> well, ne- ne- next time that we talk, I'm going to be interested about hearing about the trekking and talk about more communication and then hearing what your time was the next time you swam. Because now you have to go do it. Now I have to go out. <laughs> I can get in the pool. I was just talking to my aunt yesterday. We were doing some cleaning and... Um, a lot of people don't like the smell of chlorine okay. or bleach. When I smell bleach, it takes me back to being an eight-year-old girl waking up at six in the morning and my mom driving us to swim meets and mm-hmm. me jumping in the pools and, and swimming around. So <laughs> I'd have no problem getting back in the water. It's awesome. So if there is anybody that uh, wants to maybe connect with you to learn more about trekking or just to comment and say, hey, I really appreciate it what you said about the park services or anything, uh, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, and any questions about getting to the park service because there aren't, like there were no resources that I found when I was looking. If you're interested in getting to the park service, the outdoor industry, mm-hmm. if you're interested in just getting into the outdoors, I will acknowledge the outdoors can be a very intimidating um, industry mm-hmm. or I'm talking about even personal activity. Sure. So if it's just, hey, how do I start backpacking? Hey, mm-hmm. how do I start camping? Um, you can reach me at my email, mm-hmm. which is glemon. 93 at gmail.com so g-l-e-m-e-n 93 at gmail.com also linkedin grace lemon g-r-a-c-e-l-e-m-e-n sounds like the fruit but spelled a little bit differently (laughs) please please reach out to me i love talking about this stuff and i'll use any excuse to talk about the outdoors (laughs) awesome thanks chris thank you i don't know about you guys but that episode made me realize that I need to get outdoors more (laughs) and I really want to visit the national parks that we have in America because I feel like I've visited more places outside of America than I have inside of America so that was a great reminder for me about things that I want to do and it was great hearing Grace's story about finding her dream job and how to be a better communicator so I'm curious what do you guys think do you agree with the points that we made again personally I think it was a fantastic interview And if you're curious and you think you want to ask Grace a few more questions, feel free to reach out to the email that she mentioned or reach out to her on LinkedIn. I know her personally, uh, as I'm sure you you gathered from the episode. And when she says that she is willing to talk to you about uh, park services or getting into the outdoor industry, she absolutely means it. And she would be excited to talk to you about that. If you're interested in more content about being a better professional and a better leader, then you can head over to chris-molina.com and you can scroll to the bottom and you can click on the I want free leadership content sent straight to my inbox. If you sign up there, then you'll receive one to two emails from me every week. And basically those emails are leadership tips and leadership hacks, just giving you some free knowledge about leadership and professionalism. You can also find me on LinkedIn. You'll be able to access all of the articles that I write if you connect with me. And if you're interested in reading my first book, which is titled I'm in a Leadership Role, Now What? You can find it anywhere books are sold. Most people seem to find it on Amazon, but you can find it on Barnes & Nobles. You can even find it at your local library and local bookstore. So if you prefer giving your business to local bookstores, which I know a lot of people do, you can go up there and you can ask them to order it and they can order it for you. And lastly, one quick favor. If you have a few minutes, and I'm thinking you might, I would love to hear your feedback. You can leave a review about this podcast on whatever platform you're listening through, or you can send me an email. And my email address is chris at 
chris-molina.com. And if you've read my book, I would also love to hear your feedback. Again, you can email me at that email or you can leave a review on Barnes and Nobles or Amazon or wherever. Until next time, remember that it's never too early or too late to start your leadership journey or to start investing in yourself through professional development. Have a great day, guys.